Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. And our guest today is globally recognized for inspiring millions of people to wake up, to speak up, and to advocate for change. As a catalyst for the Me Too movement, a Time Magazine Person of the Year, a director, singer, artist, and New York Times bestselling author, Rose McGowan might be better known now as a deprogrammer, moving beyond the issue of sexual assault to how we can all be part of positive cultural change. Rose authored the phenomenal book, Brave, which I highly recommend both reading and listening to. And her documentary, Citizen Rose, is a powerful motivator, not just for people who have been sexually abused, but for anyone who wants to learn to right wrongs, to lead movements, or to live in harmony. I'm thrilled to welcome Rose McGowan to our show. Rose, it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you all and you specifically, Sheila. The thing is, you know, what a beautiful introduction. I really appreciate that. I'm always looking out, especially for other females who have done the work and man, have you done the work. So where are you right now in the world? Where, what are you doing? I live in the Mexican Caribbean. Oh God, gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually really is. I live in a jungle. So Wi-Fi is sometimes an issue. And when I'm outside of Wi-Fi, my phone is on 3G, which I don't think I'd seen in like eight years. So yeah, that's what's going on with me. Oh, but you know, is- it's, it's really uh, going through a lot of processing right now. You know, when you're in a fight, uh, and I was like in the fight of my life for a very long time and then very intensely so in the public eye, but privately for years before it had been going on, just mm-hmm. not at the open level. But, you know, when you stop fighting, that's when you start feeling all the punches and the stabs. Right. And so right now I'm just working on a lot of mental health stuff and physical health to, you know, not just survive, which is what I was doing for almost all of my life until honestly this past year and a half. I'm so um, interested in that process and what's working for you now. So could you talk just a little bit about some of either the techniques that you're interested in or even just the course of your daily life that really feels sustainable to you? Yes, it's, you know, something I've noticed is that I may have high functioning Asperger's. And it's the first time I think I've said it out loud. It it really unlocked uh, a lot of things for me and why I am so sensitive to sound and why going out of my house is you know, a lot of times, you know, through my life, I'll get dressed, I'll go to the front door, I'll have someone waiting for me somewhere. And I just, fit, I can't get out and, you know, lighting um, the world, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and not really, and this makes sense for me, not understanding when you're being lied to mm-hmm. in Hollywood, where I was for a very long time, that's pretty much par for the course. So if everyone, because you're famous is smiling at you, right? it's, it's almost impossible to have any intuition about that stuff, you know? But for me right now, I just started working with a woman that did sports medicine healing on the Denver Broncos. And I'm so grateful to her because for the past three months, um, my body is just like, I have terrible pinched nerves under my shoulder blades, my back, everything's kind of a mess. And I ignored my body and I pushed it to the brink during that really harsh period. And, and, you know, you can see it, you can see my life force just blinking out. And in all honesty, I have zero expectations to be alive right now. Zero. The, the fight was much more intense 
than people knew in terms of what was happening behind the scenes and how many were after me, uh, including you know a lawyer that I'm suing who went to the former prime minister of Israel saying, who should I hire to stop Rose McCown? And it just became mind bending. And then my brain, you know, was cracking. So I'm patching myself back together with no roadmap. And so now I'm just trying to listen to my body, trying to go easy on it, because that is important to recognize the body in mental health as well. Yeah. I loved what you said in your documentary about the body keeping score. And you're probably now aware of all of the great work of Vessel Vanderkolk, some other amazing people who have really been able to detail what happens to a person who has been traumatized as much as you, who obviously you probably have some genetic sensitivity to all of the things that were being thrown at you in terms of being stalked, in terms of loud voices, in terms of crowds, in terms of all of the stressors that a human being who has these kind of sensitivities should never be put upon. And the body remembers it. So it doesn't surprise me that your body now is the one that's breaking down. You know, it's almost yeah. like your psyche took it for so long, Rose, and you allow people to see that process so vulnerably. But it does not surprise me that your body is the one now crying out for help. Yeah. And I have to give it to it. I have to let it be. And I have to seek help because. I can't do this one on my own. I don't know how to fix uh, a body. I don't. And in my book, I describe Hollywood as a cult that my book, Brave, I wrote it to have a conversation with the world. And I say that in the book, I'm here to have a conversation with you, mm -hmm. the reader. And the way I deprogram people, I think, not that I've been trained for it, but by having a very powerful father that was the leader of a group that was called a cult later on. I watched programming in action. I, I watched it and I studied it. So it wouldn't work on me, but also how I could then in five easy steps unwire a brain. I'm not going to rewire. I'm not interested in fixing people that way. But I know after they read this book, they'll be at least 10% more unwired and 10% more brave. Yeah, or even just 10% more aware about all the ways in which we're programmed, right? I mean, that would be wonderful. <laughs> That's, well, that's what I mean. So you can see it. You can see yeah. who's putting the information in your head because a lot of people, most suspect this is happening, but they're not on the inside. They don't have you know, the evidence. They don't know how, uh, how the language works, but they know something's really wrong. Mm -hmm. They just don't know what it is. I want you to, if you can, Rose, just for people who need to catch up, explain the parallels between what you call the cult of Hollywood and the cult that you grew up in. Okay. So Children of God is the group um, that my father ran the Italian chapter of, and um, I was born into that. And everyone says, here's where cult, and they're like, those weirdos. And I'm like, well, what do you think you're in? It's called the system. Mm -hmm. There are many levels of cult. There are watered down versions of it, where people kind of have this illusion of freedom. And then there's the very intense versions of it. But any system like Hollywood that uses its own language, that doesn't apply to the outside world, that keeps you there in fear, this could very much be anybody's job. It could be a controlling husband. You can be in a cult in a relationship too. There are many levels of this. If you leave, bad things will happen too. So this outside fear becomes greater 
than what's happening to you on the inside that seems wrong, but you're programmed to take it because everyone else is doing it. So, and one thing that people really get wrong about cults all the time I've noticed is that, you know, they make movies or write books where it's like this powerful magnetic leader, which my father was, but that once they step off the stage, the people just have their regular conversations, but it's not, it's much like society. It's very much like American society. You could take Democrats, you could take Republicans in this, and you could each say both very extremely have markers of cults. Yeah. And the reason for that is ostracization. If you leave them, mm-hmm. your family structure, your friends, they might not talk to you. Anymore. There's a lot that goes into it. And so cult leaders, or maybe the elites, big tech, big media, the government, they really count on everybody that's not the leader to cross hypnotize each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole thing. If one person say, let's take me, for example, rises up and says, absolutely not. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. This is not an acceptable way to live. We can all be so much freer in our minds, yeah. if not our bodies. And when someone upsets the apple cart, the instinct for almost all cult members is to lash out hard at the person that is trying to wake people up. <laughs> yeah, in most organizations, those people get fired. Yeah. Let's yeah. just call it like it is. I, I want to, if you don't mind, talk about the breaking news that just turned out because you mentioned the Democrat Party, the Republican Party. There are always people at the highest levels of leadership who are abusing people, who should be called out in the same way that you called out Harvey Weinstein and and most of the people uh, that have been brought down by the Me Too movement. And I'm very curious if you could just talk about how it is that Rose's Army or you individually help people who want to come forward with this information to find their voice and to be able to do it effectively. I should offer a training course at this point, honestly, because yes, I've, I've <laughs> from behind the scenes, I've shadow helped, if you will, or guided and explained what's going to happen to them, how their lives will be destroyed, essentially. But on the other side, you have freedoms. I mean, most people won't do it because it's not worth it to them. And that's cool. But my thing is, if everybody came forward and just told the truth, mm-hmm. then everybody's worked at the place like with Cuomo, right? Everybody's worked at the place with like either the woman or the guy that's, oh, this place would be so amazing if that wasn't happening, if this person wasn't here. But yet they all kind of, well, no one else is standing up. I guess I have to just keep my head down too. Mm-hmm. That's part of that kind of cult self-hypnosis stuff and cross-hypnosis like with Cuomo. I came to his uh, public accuser, Lindsay Boylan's aid, um, I guess last February, mm-hmm. you know, I was going after Cuomo and of course everybody, eh, how dare you? And I get a lot of hate from liberals, Democrats. And let me just say this, they're every single thing they respond with is, but what about Trump? I'm like, look, <laughs> if I murdered somebody and you murdered somebody, that makes us both guilty. It, one does not take away from the other. That is not an argument. And the thing is, If Cuomo or any of these jerks really are doing this to people they're supposed to respect, like his employees, women largely there, it seems, in his office, that they worked very hard against a lot of odds to get there. And this is what they get. So if he's treating people 
that are highly educated and working for him to do good for him this way. What is he doing to the citizens of his state mm. that he doesn't even know yeah. and doesn't have yeah. to really respect? And I get a lot of people like, hey, what about the nursing home with Cuomo? Obviously, that's really bad. Yeah. And they're like, who cares about sexual harassment or this or that? But it all goes together. Yeah. It all goes together. And they can't do it in secrecy. They have to have a lot of help. And those are the people I really have the biggest problem with because, <laughs> you know, if that person has a problem in their head, what's your excuse? I think one of the most devastating things about reading your account was that really the person who sort of served you up to Harvey Weinstein was a female uh, manager. And I keep thinking about Epstein and with all of these horrible monsters that mm -hmm. there's always been a woman by his or her side willing to do this to other young women. And I'm wondering if in any of these cases, there has ever been an accomplice who's actually been held responsible for the crimes against other women. Um, not that I know of, and certainly not in my case. My female manager at that time, I found out afterwards, got uh, a job for seven years and $7 million with Weinstein immediately following, trading me essentially. She, she was in and out of like mental institutions and things like that for a very long time from before I even met her. Mm. And when she killed herself about two years ago, her family publicly came out and blamed me. I get messages on my Instagram from her poor daughter's friends saying, you ruined my friend's life. Oh. It's a lot. I want to be like, I'm really sorry that your mom was a human trafficker. Believe me, I wish she uh -huh. hadn't been, but I don't, but that's the reality. They would rather lash out than see the ugly truth. And sometimes truth is ugly, but yeah. the only way we can get clean, like when you clean your closet, you make a big mess. Okay. Well, it gets clean later. You know, one of the things that I kept thinking about, many years were spent in a very traumatic situation in Eugene, Oregon, and that people, yeah. even as a child, were not kind to you, probably because you were strikingly beautiful. I don't think you come to that conclusion, but that's mine. You look so different from other young women, likely that you, you brought attention to yourself. But I wonder where the strength to withstand all of the traumas that happened to you came from? Because it wasn't like your early childhood was good enough to give you a sense or an equilibrium to be able to withstand it. So where did this bravery and this courage actually come from? That is a mystery. And I think it's not just how I looked. I would literally go into the mirror and look after getting called ugly 50 times that day at age 11, I would look in the mirror and I would look at, I didn't really understand what I was supposed to look like. So I would look in the mirror and, and be like, well, my eyes are normal, my nose, I don't understand. Mm. I don't know what I look like, but, but I also knew from a very early age, as I write in my book, from the earliest memory I have was basically fighting back. And my thing is, and this is where I think I have a superpower being born into a really hardcore cult where it was quite easy to see what was going on. And I don't know how I wasn't born into just the signing up for it process. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, the reason my book is called Brave is that my father's nickname for me was the brave one. Mm -hmm. Like that's Daisy's the pretty one. This one's the funny one, you know, that kind of thing. I was the brave one. And I just, and I was usually coming after him. We had a really love hate relationship. I just always known. And I think what happens when people are born into a more watered down version of a cult, nationalism, anything, 
yeah. uh, the cult of the cult of being a boy, the cult of being a girl, all that kind of stuff. I just always knew it was them and not me. Hmm. And even when, wow. even in my darkest moments in Hollywood, you know, when I flip on the TV and there's Meryl Streep calling Harvey Weinstein God and Gwyneth Paltrow getting Oscars, and I sit in the dark and watch it and cry and be like, you know, if you just shut up, Rose, you'd be there. But I was like, there where? gross mm. and I pick myself back up and I've always kept my own counsel I, and I think you know a lot of people don't get that kind of strength because they're more massaged into it instead of having it so black and white I was just born different it's all I can say I don't know I, and I've never I, I mean this planet is beautiful but it's not my planet I, I fundamentally do not relate to most motivations I don't understand why people pretend that they don't have gangrene on their leg and they just pull their pant leg down, mm -hmm. but live with the wound. Mm. Might stop, pull it up, treat it, take your medicine, work through it, put on a new pair of pants and now you can run. Mm. But it, it is, it does take courage. You know, Rose, I've often thought about this question because I, th I don't know if you know my background, but my late husband was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then he died by suicide. <laughs> and nine years later, my brilliant daughter, Sophie, was diagnosed with leukemia. And people ask me, you know, how I have stayed so strong. And one of the answers is that I really have for this is I often look at the gifts of being forced to deepen spiritually and to take a mm -hmm. real look at my life and, and the life around me and what I truly value. And I don't believe that I would have had that deepening unless I'd had those awful experiences. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I, I really look at the degree to which you were abused, you were neglected, you were hunted, you were taken apart, and you have still found purpose in what it is that you're willing to spread in this world that is positive and uplifting. And I've wondered about that question if you could go back and erase these difficult things, but you wouldn't get to be the person you are today, would you say, no, I don't want those experiences? I don't think I would have needed quite as many as I had. <laughs> Let me put fair. it that way. <laughs> I, I think I got a pretty strong <laughs> education in it by age 10. I was pretty done. And that's, the thing is, is that's like, yeah. fair, Rose. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I have a quadruple PhD. How many, how many <laughs> degrees do I need in this? Like, come on. And you know, that that quote, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I'm like, uh, well, uh, I think I I hey God, ease up. Like, I got it. I've downloaded the information. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yeah, uh -huh. and I it's just it becomes almost absurd as comedy at some point yeah. and it's and throughout all that like really horrible stuff I do want to say I had bursts of um what I know now to be joy I just didn't have it in any sustained way yeah but I always you know some people are just so anti-system like me and I get called in it like it was really funny I was walking down the beach here in Mexico the other day and I was like hey are you an anarchist? <laughs> Just some random. <laughs> and I'm like, and I stopped, thought for a second, and I looked at him. Like, yes. And he's like, okay. And he just walks away. <laughs> Hilarious. I know. I was like, okay. But I think being a true punk doesn't yeah. mean having spiky hair. It doesn't mean having this, but it does mean 
I don't know. Like there's a certain thing about, let's say when you go out as a punk rocker, especially back in the day. Now, maybe people don't care as much, but back then it was hardcore, right? Like, you know, when I grew up, if you look different, you know, whoa, good luck. It, it is something about that, that your willingness to go out there and take the hits because, you know, freedom of expression, freedom of your body, freedom of yourself is right. You know, maybe some do it like a certain look just to blend in and have their own community. Mm-hmm. But mine was always like, I, it's just a quick way of seeing the truth about who a stranger is. I, I was hated for so long when I was famous for acting just for existing, mm-hmm. you know, just because people hate, you know, and when the like social networks, all that stuff really took off because I was famous before and famous after social media. Mm-hmm. Right when it first came up, you know, online and every manager and agent in Hollywood was like telling their actors and singers and people that they had to go on the message boards and talk to their fans, not knowing what a cesspool and how evil and how much these things actually penetrate. And because we'd never dealt with that before, you got fan mail. That's it. It is. um, But I was hated for so long just for, you know, existing. I was like, okay, I'll just give you a reason to hate me. I'm used to it. I can take it. Mm-hmm. Not many people can. Most people don't like being hated. Mm-hmm. But I so I know what they hate is so far removed mm-hmm. from the reality of who I am and what I do and why I do it that it, it's it's just it's I mean it's almost boring actually. I'm like, gosh, can't you people get different things to say? You all say the same stuff, but you think you're unique. Well, it, it was, you know, it was really fascinating to me is, you know, coming from the field of journalism was just how offensive it was to watch the same uh, questions being lobbed to you over and over again. People desperate for you to recount the gritty details of a trauma, knowing that it was going to trigger you, knowing that it was going yeah. to put you into a vulnerable state. And I'll tell you, I watched it with a whole new awareness when I saw that, Rose. I was just like, she has captured here something that should be like mandatory watching in every journalism school, every school. It was salacious. And very often the, the editor, almost always, not just to me, but any female victim, they send a female reporter, journalist, because they think that'll be like easier for the victim to talk with a woman like them. But the woman journalist, meanwhile, wants to prove to their boss, I'm not going easy on them because I'm a woman. I'm going to double down and prove to you that I have no favoritism. Like the New York Times review of my book deeply offended me. It says that much of her book reads like a woman driven half mad. Oh my God. Uh, I'm like, actually not at all. uh, Like I should be walking down the streets, my hair on fire, but my book, the fact that I pulled off what I wrote, the fact that it helps so many people yeah, like unwire in a, and through my stories, I talk to the reader. It's called breaking the fourth wall and acting when you're on the stage or on the screen and you turn and talk to the audience and you go back into your character. And weirdly I was watching Ferris Bueller's day off before I started writing my book. And he Mm -hmm. does that. Ferris does that at three and he becomes Matthew Broderick. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Because every time I would tell people, oh, I'm writing a book, they'd be like, oh, you should go read this other person's book. You should mm-hmm. do it like that. I'm yeah. like, why would I do that? And then the other one, my favorite that I got a lot, especially from people in Hollywood, don't worry about it. Just vomit on the page. The editor will clean it up. Oh, wow. I was like, who likes vomit? Like for me, words are sacred. And English is my 
third language and I use language differently. And I think a lot of times that's why it does penetrate because I do use words differently. And when, you know, a lot of people are like, you should read the self-help person or this and that. I'm like, honestly, I don't really want help information from a system that raised people diametrically opposite from how I was. Yeah, it's super interesting too, because as you read, it is so uniquely your voice and it's filled with that kind of intelligence and attitude and punk spirit that boy, any editor would have likely wiped out. So great decision there to not just be part of the crowd. You know, there is a great line, Rose, that you say in the documentary about um, someone asks you, how will we ever stop the litany of allegations that are going to be coming forward now? And you said, I think you said this, or maybe someone else did, but they said, um, it's not me too, it's what's next. And I am very curious what is next. If you are going to get into this realm of attempting to deprogram and to be able to have people recognize when they're actually operating a cult-like status, how big does it go? How much are you willing to take on? Or will you narrow your focus once again? No, my focus was, I always knew it wasn't narrow. And this is something that um, pretty much everybody has mistook about me too. That hashtag came about a week after uh, like the Weinstein news broke and it got attached to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but me too, at its core, it's not a movement. It's not like BLM. It's not like other places that have, you know, like the gun lobbyists, anybody. It is not. It doesn't have a central, you know, it doesn't have workers. It doesn't have employees. It doesn't have activists working for it. It doesn't have uh, volunteers. It doesn't have any centralized location of any organization. Therefore, it is not a movement. It is a communication tool. That is what kind of pissed me off the most about people in the press, like willfully misunderstanding it. And I said, had to say it five million times, but I was like, look, in history, there has never been shorthand for pain like that, ever. So where you were left at before is people feeling ashamed, people maybe getting drunk one night with their best friend telling them their secret, and then the next day, like, oh God, why did I do that? And shame spiraling again. But if someone said to me, me too, and they have, and I say, me too, okay, we know without knowing the depths of that pain and the struggle. That's what it unlocked. And it's never given its proper due for that, which is is a real shame. To be honest, there's a lot of fakes that were like, me too movement, you know, like Alyssa Milano or people like that and frauds. And I have a long history of knowing who the frauds are. And I, you know, (laughs) when I was there as an actress, they did not hide it from me. They weren't trying to put on a, you know, a face to me. Yeah. But I knew there were frauds then and I know there are frauds now. And the thing is, it's like you can't fight a corrupt system and be corrupt. Mm. And people know the difference. And so a lot of people hated me because they threw me in with a lot that was, you know, and a lot of male journalists and writers came at it from like, when will the witch hunt stop? I'm like, well, you don't want to look at your own backyard, apparently. Yeah. And it really is a great communication tool. And I wish it, it had been honored as such. Um, Toronto Burke created a big communication tool. And nobody, not even her, has said that it's a communication tool. So I don't really get it. But as far as a movement, often, you know, it was millions of people around the world rising up, but it was not with any organized, uh, like, committee or anything like that. It was just like, so I felt like I was the public face of many voices. Mm. 
I I've always had this to... knack of saying stuff and people are like, God, we were all thinking that you're just going to say it. I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying anything truly groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Right. I just know a lot of people aren't saying it out loud. And you're uh, courageous enough that when people come for you after you've said it, you actually are willing to take that brunt, which a lot of people are not. I wanted to uh, share the conversation that I had right before I came because I was picking up my dog from doggy daycare and I said I, I gotta run because I have this amazing interview today and and I said Rose McGowan she goes like Rose McGowan me too of course they have they link your name and I was like yeah you know she made work a place I can stand and I was like wow that's a beautiful oh. beautiful legacy to think yeah. that for all of these young women, you actually have changed the workplace in inordinate ways. I mean, there it, it didn't just usher out legions of old white men who needed to be fired for their lascivious ways. It actually changed the culture for young women coming in to be able to rise uniquely and unscripted and victorious in who they are. I'm really, I am, astounded by your resilience, Rose. I really am. I'm very much in awe of your capability. And yours and your resilience, Sheila. Thank you. Can you just leave us, Rose, with, um, I, I always kept coming back to this passage where you said you imagined yourself as a child just being able to just like live in a field and look up at the sky and and have that kind of dreamy life of just being. So describe a a moment or a day or just a few minutes even when you're getting that sense of, oh my God, this is what it's like just to be. Yeah. Um, Mexico has been really kind to me. And partially I think why I moved here was because I can hear like five conversations at once and I love that I can't understand them. So it gives me mm. kind of a peace. Mm. The other night I was in this very raw section of the beach here and we're very close to the equator where I'm at. And you can really see the bend of the earth and the stars at night. They're both vertical and horizontal and they're all around you. And I just mm. literally hugged a tree, <laughs> tree hugger, hugged a tree for an hour, just feeling the wind and the stars all around me and the sound of the ocean. And that was, that was always what I wanted. So I got it. My God, it sounds so beautiful. I want you to yeah. have more of what you call steady happiness. Steady happiness, I think, is such a beautiful um, intention, especially for women who want to try to accomplish so much in our brief time here on this planet. I, I'm in your corner, Rose. Um, Thank I you, Sheila. Really I'm in yours. Corner. I don't know how, considering decades of hate, but I am super hopeful for people. I really, I feel like I'm a cheerleader for humans, even if I don't really like them one-on-one -on -one often. Like as a collective, I feel like so much has been stolen so young from men and women that if they really look at their lives, they can do anything because what has the system not already done to you? If you really look at what you've survived, go that extra distance. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to out people. It doesn't mean you have to be an activist. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean. Uh, I'll leave it with this. When I got my dog, Pearl, I watched her and I was like, oh my God, I realized it's the only non-rescue dog I've ever had. Mm -hmm. She's not traumatized. And I was watching her joy and I thought, oh my God, we're all supposed to be like that. Wow. Boy, that is. That's true. what they steal. So our life's work 
is really finding out who we are, what we want, and how not to harm others and how to best help others in any way we can. It's incumbent upon us. Do the work. It sucks sometimes, but you can get free. Yeah, that's why they call it work, right, Rose? <laughs> that's why. And, you know, no, one, no one's ever paid me for my work, trust me, like this. Listen, I do hope that you turn it into coursework, and I do hope you turn it into professional coaching, uh, because there's legions of women, I think, that would line up to learn how to be as brave and as purposeful as you've been. Thank you for your place in Thank the world, you. Rose. I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Me too. Have a golden day.